listening to Conversations in Atlantic Theory, a podcast dedicated to books and ideas generated from and about the Atlantic world. In collaboration with the Journal of French and Francophone Philosophy, these conversations explore the cultural, political, and philosophical traditions of the Atlantic world, ranging from European critical theory to the Black Atlantic to sites of indigenous resistance and self-articulation as well as the complex geography of thinking between traditions, inside traditions, and from positions of insurgency, critique, and counter-narrative. This discussion is with Dr. Felisa Vergara-Renault, an associate professor of French for the Department of French and Italian at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. She received her PhD from Harvard University, and her focus is on literature in French from the Antilles, West Africa, and North Africa. She primarily works on the legacy and impact of colonialism on literature in French from the former colonies and is particularly concerned with the continued influence of colonialism in the post-colonial era and how it represented in cultural production. In this discussion, we discuss her book, The Authorist Cannibal, Rewriting in Francophone Literature as a Post-Colonial Genre from 1969 to 1995, where Dr. Reynolds presents textual revisions of Francophone authors as figurative acts of cannibalism and examines how these literary cannibalizations critique colonialism and its legacy in each author's home. So we're here today with Dr. Felisa Vergara Reynolds. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm so intrigued by the title of your book. And I'm just really glad that um, you're here to talk about it. So before we get into it, I wanted to start by asking you the origins of this project. So sort of invitation to narrate us into the project and how you came into it. What sort of concerns, personal, ethical, or philosophical, drew you to the questions in The Author as Cannibal? So why this project? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, It's always nice when somebody... Um, first of all, reaches out to you and said that they read your book. Um, when you put out your book, you'll, you will see what that, what that feels like. It's, it's, it's really nice. So thank you again for, um, for expressing interest in my book. Um, so the origins of the project, um, as a lot of projects are, have old origins, um, interesting origins. Um, when I was a graduate student, I was fortunate enough to attend the School of Criticism and Theory at Cornell University. They have a summer session. Um, That year, I saw that Marie Sconde was going to be leading a seminar, um, as well as Spivak was going to be there, um, all kinds of like big names. And I thought to myself, I have got to get myself to this, you know, six week intensive um, uh, School of Criticism and Theory. Uh, And so when I got there, uh, I was fortunate enough to be placed in the Marie Sconde seminar. I was over the moon. I was already a huge fan of Marie Sconde's. Um, I already knew in grad school that I had wanted to work, uh, something to do with her, with her work. Uh, it definitely was, but I didn't know what I hadn't formulated anything. I was, you know, a baby grad student. And, and so when I saw the topic of her six week seminar, once I got there and it was this literary cannibalism and I thought, what on earth is literary cannibalism? But of course it's Marie Sconde, so it's bound to be good, right? Uh, so that was in, in 2004. So what started with a six week seminar 
where she proposed this idea that certain works could be cannibalized, uh, including one of her works and and a few others, which I which I list in the book. It, it's like a light bulb went off in, in my brain that that kind of topic, that idea I had been searching for. I thought, well, this is very interesting. And and having just six weeks of having access to, to Marie Sconde, it's not nothing, especially, you know, you're a grad student, you think, my God, I have this primary source at my, mm-hmm. at my fingertips. And so we, we got to spend a lot of time talking and I asked her more about it. And, and one day she said to me, you know, you should write about this. You should work on this because you really seem to be interested in it and you, you understand it and it intrigues you. And I said, yes, I think I will write about this. Um, so that that's where the idea started in, in 2004 as a person who attended a seminar and for six weeks heard Marie Condé put forth this idea of literary cannibalism and just went from there. Yeah. And it's it's very interesting. So that's the very first quote in the introduction. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, but it was actually worth paying attention to because it just reverberated throughout the project. Um, so I guess I was very really curious as well. How was it being able to, you know, get that from the primary source and working with her? And I mean, you also put in the interviews, you know, in the book, yes. but... I guess, what were your primary emotions and, you know, did it, how long did it take you to process all of this since you have been working on it since 2004? So once you initially get over the nerves of working up the, <laughs> the courage to go and, and ask this, this incredible person questions, um, I, I got to really know Marie Condé and we're talking, my, my personal familial background is uh, Mexican-American. My parents are from Mexico and I was born in the United States. And, and so I, I had a grasp of what it meant to be othered um, in the United States. But Marie Condé said to me, you cannot write about the Caribbean without going to the Caribbean. So that was her first her first challenge to me. She's like, you need to write about this, but before you really start writing about it, you need to, you need to go. You need to go to Guadeloupe. You need to go to Martinique. You need to to see what it what it is to be there and to experience this. And so, you know, I I said um, I'd be happy to. And she said, and when you go to Guadeloupe, you'll stay with me. And I said, well, of course. Um, so just her <laughs> generosity of yeah. spirit. And um, but I'm not one to back down. So when mm-hmm. I left uh, that summer session. I, I dutifully emailed her and I said, hey, remember when you said I should go to Guadeloupe? Let me know when's a good time. And so that first quote from that 2006 interview is from my first travel to go see her and and stay with her and really, really start to develop this idea of what we were going to do with literary cannibalism and this idea of rewriting and me asking her more in-depth questions when it was just you know one-on-one of what her thoughts were. And and to me, when she said that first quote, when she said, nous sommes des cannibales, you know, we are all cannibals. At first, you know, I didn't get it. How, how are we all cannibals, right? Because we have these very outdated, grotesque notions of what the cannibal is. And it's not complimentary. And I didn't think that I saw myself as a cannibal and how does she see herself as a as a cannibal and so really 
had to think about that. It was something that was a, an, an idea that was difficult to process. And it really led me into investigating what is a cannibal, what is cannibalism. Um, and again, really finding out that what we know about it is really, again, from the other's perspective and the cannibal always being othered and, pre and presented in this grotesque manner. So once you come to understand the cannibal as a more sophisticated thing, a more sophisticated act, then Maris Conde's words start to make more sense about how she's a cannibal, I'm a cannibal, because we are consumers of things. We devour things. We say that all the time. I devoured this book when you when you couldn't put it down and you when you read it through and through. But then the idea of what we do with something, for example, as we devour a book, um, what we do with it afterwards is where writers like her, like Césaire, like Jebar or Boat Arbois Diop, come in with what they do with the work. So that's when I really started to think about how these authors are rewriting and to what end, what's the idea behind this rewriting. And it's, and I'm really glad you broke it down that way because I, just like you said, when I was reading it, I was like, okay, I have to, <laughs> I have to put my frame into what Conde is saying. And you, you scaffolded it pretty nicely you know, which was, because I, I was like, mm, where are we going with this? <laughs> you know, and then it's like, okay, I see. And then, you know, we'll talk about it later, but then I also see why she's like, we all need to kind of put our guards down and there's, meet this, face this opposition and confront why we are against, you know, cannibalism. Obviously, we all, we can understand like this common understanding of this disgusting, grotesque, um, concept, but then she's like, "Well, let's kind of go beyond that." And I just think you articulated that um, really nicely in a way that kind of eases you into a haunted house as we get into this spooky season. <laughs> um, that's a really good analogy, and I think that where I got the biggest pushback on on this idea um, was this notion of cannibalism. Right? They're like, "Whoa, uh, do you really want to?" call a group of authors, all of them, writers of color, um, several of them products of a colonial past, um, cannibals, because it, it, it does in, it, it initially shock and it does initially, um, it can be off-putting. And I, and I understand that. And, and I myself wrestled with that. Like, do I want to even stay with this project? Because I, it, it felt like a, an uphill battle. Like, like I was, I was fighting constantly with this concept. So yes, it did become and, and, and maybe I do spend a little too much time in the introduction, but really, I like you said, I wanted to break down why we have this visceral reaction and negative reaction to the cannibal, when it can actually be something pretty, pretty special. Um, especially when you really go back to see, well, what is really written about the cannibal? And then you start to look, well, um, going back to, to Jean de Léry, right? And he's one of the, the few Frenchmen who, who, who allegedly had contact, right? Because we take everything with a grain of salt, especially when, um, Europeans are concerned, um, to have witnessed supposedly these, these ceremonies. And, and you take a look at, well, what did he actually write? And what he's writing is that these are, these are ceremonies that pertain to um, conquest, to respecting the other's power, wanting to absorb the other's power. And that is why these acts take place. And when I read that, that they were, the, that the tribes people were looking to gain the power of the, of the enemy, um, 
that for me kind of clicked like, ah, I see. I get now why she's going with the cannibal because if you see it as I respected this enemy and I defeated him, but I still respect him and I would like the power that he held to be mine now, then you kind of see why as authors, they would want to take these European canonical works, right? And, And knowing what Europe represents, colonialism, imperialism, and say, I want this power. I want this power. And then again, the question of to what end? because I want to critique what was done to me by this power. So, you know, you could say it's, it stretches a little bit, but, but, but I, I think that I get you there in so far as why it's not just a rewriting or not just intertextuality. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd like to think I get the reader there. <laughs> yeah. And so before we delve into, you know, the works that you've chosen, cause I, I'm, you helped me make more sense of Césaire. So I was like, oh, this this kind of fits. <laughs> it does fit That's into... Quite a compliment. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I mean, because there's so many ways of talking about Césaire, right? So but I haven't at least heard or I haven't been in a class where we talk about him in a, in a cannibalistic, <laughs> you know, perspective. And so even looking at just rethinking about the cahier and thinking about the poems and how bloody it is, it, I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, there is a sort of, you know, cannibalism that's happening here that he's presenting quite visually. But can we also speak about the genesis that's also rooted, um, you know, by the manifesto and Tripofago, mm-hmm. I hope I'm saying that correctly, by the Brazilian poet and writer Oswald de Andre um, in 1928. And I really liked um, the quote that you put in, which I do want to just read real quick. And you say, only cannibalism unites us socially, economically, um, philosophically, the unique law of the world, the disguised expression of all individualisms, all collectivisms, of all religions, of all peace treaties, tupi or not tupi, that is the question. And I had to sit with that for a while, especially, I mean, that first one, all cannibalism unites. <laughs> it's like, okay, let's, let's kind of break this down. So can you talk to us a little bit about this? And then um, is that last sentence, to be or not to be, that is the question, also continues to re- reverberate throughout the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, again, and, and that's that's what Marie Condé opened with, was this um, Oswald de Andrade's um, Manifesto Antropophago from 1928, she she read that to us. And the minute she read the 2P or not 2P, um, as I'm looking at it, I know it's talking about the Tupinamba, but immediately for me, I heard the echoes of to be or not to be, right? I heard that right away. And, and I thought to myself, this is no accident. Um, so I, again, there's a there's a certain call to an intentionality in in the writing to pay attention to the intentionality to the intention um, behind what is being done. Right? I know we we've gotten away or have wanted to get away from you know authorial intent and things of the like in literary analysis, but truly, I I had to sit and ask myself, um, Andrade would not have written 2P or not 2P if not to make the reader think of to be or not to be. It just simply does not seem possible that he would not be asking the reader to make that connection. In the same way, um, this brings me to another thought about about Césaire, 
Um, just comparing two works that, that you said this helped you understand. I, I often think about Césaire's um, Discours sur le colonialisme, his discourse on colonialism from 1950, which is a scathing indictment of, of French colonialism. I mean, he just leaves it all out there. And, and Césaire, I think like a lot of our, of our um, writers and leaders who were at the forefront of these movements, right, insofar as being anti-colonial, pushing for rights, later on they get softened, right? We 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 tend to think of Aimé Césaire, the kindly old man who became the the, the mayor of of of. Um, Fort de France, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm getting that right. I, I, I believe he he spent his last few years mm-hmm. as mayor, but we forget this kind of um, the power behind what he was doing and saying and fighting in these moments because he he lived under colonialism and he lived the before, he lived the the, the, the and the after. So I think about that, and I think about how often wrongly in my opinion but that is seen as 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 pamphleteering his discourse on colonialism it's just an angry tirade against colonialism and it falls it doesn't it doesn't do what he hoped it would do but then you take a look at 18 years later at une tempête where i think he's taking those themes all over again but he's like, okay, if my discourse on colonialism is just an angry screed against colonialism, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take your Shakespeare and I'm going to rewrite it and I'm going to re- retake the themes that I have already brought to everybody's attention on colonialism and put it into this work. And then maybe that will get your attention. So that to me, this taking from the other, reworking, rewriting, you know, consuming it and then spitting it back out. Um, with a message, I think is what Andrade was doing with to pee or not to pee, right? He's like, we are all cannibals or not, but here's why I borrow from Shakespeare, because I can, and because it gets your attention, right? It's the difference between Maris Conde simply stating, we are all cannibals, which is provocative in and of itself, but to pee or not to pee takes you directly to that literary connection. Just like for me, um, I see in Une Tempête discourse on colonialism, right? There's, there's a desire on behalf of these authors to make us see this connection and to bring our attention to, to imperialism and colonialism and, and, and the effects it had on, on these writers and these countries. Yeah, and it's, it's just doing it in different genres, which makes yes. you still, it makes you pay attention, like you said. Um, and I guess that also brings me to ask, how did you or what was the choice behind um, picking the other two, um, Boris Joff and Asya Jabbar? And it was nice to see Asya Jabbar. I was shocking, you know, I was like, wow, not, I haven't seen it from this angle, but it, that was really interesting to see. So, so the, um, obviously the Maris Conte work she presented at to mm-hmm. me as an option and Aimé Césaire, but then I started to think and look around are there other authors who were doing this, kind of making this? Once I settled on the on the idea that this is a a colonial lament, a complaint, if you will, that is in the act of this literary cannibalism, I started to look around for what other works are having this same relationship with a with a original text. Um, the Diop one was harder but when i saw tamango i thought well that's 
that's Merime text. Is this a rewriting of Merime? I, so I really started to, to look into that. And then I see, sure enough, uh, this Merime. And what is the, what is the subject of Merime? Oh, it's a story of, of, of a man who becomes enslaved after his wife becomes enslaved. And then, um, it's, it's a passage. It's a story of a passage. Um, and, and it's not very kind to, to Mongo because it's written from a European perspective, right? So when he tries to, to, to commandeer the, the vessel on which he's being enslaved and being taken to the new world, it's, he's made fun of because he, he doesn't know how to sail, right? Which is something that we don't think about often, right? When we think, oh, why didn't they just commandeer the ships? Well, you know, if you don't know how to sail, you're not going to do very well, right? So then I think, well, you know, Diop must have seen this, must have read this, because he also, and as I write in the book, is very conscious of of diaspora, of migration, and and what happens to people as they're as they're leaving the African continent. So to me, I see again that same idea of wanting to bring attention to a situation, and again doing it by taking this work of the Europeans. And reworking it to his own ends. So that's when I started to analyze um, Le Temps de Tamango and, and how he played with the original text. As for Jebar, that was a little trickier because what she reworks in, in L'Amour la Fantasia, we have this fictional mm-hmm. text um, where she's writing about the invasion of 1830 and later, later part of the text is independence she's addressing real situations and then creating a story around them. So that's already a little bit different. Um, But where I could see, and as I started reading with this kind of this literary cannibalism lens, if you will, I start to see her frustration with the original text that she's working with. And in her case, it's these letters that she finds, um, presumably in, in archives of, of soldiers during this invasion, writing back home about what's going on, as if it were, you know, it's just a dear diary type situation. Mm-hmm. But what they're narrating or horrific incidents of, of invasion, right? We, we, we tend to learn, how do we learn about colonialism and invasion? We're like, well, you know, France colonized Algeria starting in 1830. But what does that mean? What does it mean to colonize a country? What does it mean when it takes several decades to colonize a, a country like Nigeria? It means extreme violence. It means massacres. It means terrible things. So her reworking these letters to say, I don't understand how there's just simply not a single one of these, except for maybe one that is horrified by what's happening, leads her to really want to represent what is happening truly to the people as they're being conquered. So again, I see this, this idea of wanting to tell the story from the perspective of those that suffer the colonialism. And that becomes the thread, right? It becomes the thread from Une Tempête, where Caliban goes from being minor character um, to being a major speaking role who, who has the upper hand in the end um, for uh, Marius Condé's rewriting of Wuthering Heights, again, privileging the position of Heathcliff, making him, you know, the primary character. And for Diop, completely rewriting it and giving Tamango this whole other life within, a, you know, a completely different setting. And same for Jebar, just really saying, well, let's let those who were colonized speak for once and not just let those that are doing the colonizing 
do all the speaking. So again, it's a it's a flipping of the power dynamic that I that I saw present in all these works. And I saw also that they were all kind of in this 20 year period. And that for me was really, really um, interesting to look at, because it seems like in and around the end of colonialism, in this kind of 20 year period, we have these authors really deciding to rewrite to make a complaint about how colonialism has, quote unquote, ended, yet has it really. So that became kind of the the thread between all of them. And in all of them, just as you were saying earlier, it's, we always think about it in terms of the colonizer eating the colonized, you know, but in these cases, it's the colonized eating the colonizer as a way of regaining their power. Um, You know, like what's now that you're inside of me, that power that you had is now mine. Um, and kind of, and here's what I'm doing with it. And here's what I'm doing with it. Right. And I'm complaining. I'm complaining. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's, you know, and it makes me think of, um, I believe her name is Dr. Dr. Moki. I hope I'm not getting it wrong. And she, um, she's a scholarly activist. And at a conference, she said how we have to be careful with the language we use in terms of saying that we're giving voice to under to the minority mm-hmm. groups or underrepresented. Very true. Because that, that says that it's implying that they didn't have one and we're giving them a voice as opposed to either amplifying, which is exactly what these works do, um, by eating, you know, the other. <laughs> and it, now I feel more comfortable saying that, like, oh, you know, like, this is, yeah, you can eat the other person. <laughs> um, and it's just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, before I would have been like, hmm, I don't know, because it's it's a little, it's, it's, <laughs> it makes you. It's still a little bit tricky. I'll yeah, get, I'll grant you that. To, you know, and it's, because <laughs> the whole civilization, uh, um, you know, to, what's it the mission civilization and Mm -hmm. the whole point was to undo that to undo these barbaric behaviors um so your project quote unquote barbaric behaviors right so that's what and and i think i do take a lot of care and you're absolutely right this this notion of and this is where i have to walk a a fine line (laughs) between what spivak says right Mm -hmm. and the subaltern which i know now is maybe falling a little bit out of favor to refer to to people as that, and I think I, I, I try to take great care, in particular with the with the mm-hmm. Jebar chapter, to to show that it wasn't so much that she was giving them a voice, but that she's uncovering these mm-hmm. voices, right? That they were they were there, um, screaming, speaking, and have just been covered up mm-hmm. by the official discourse, right? Because we know, and we we hear it said all the time that. Um, history is written by the by the conquerors by the victors Mm -hmm. so what we end up having is the other voices being silenced right it's not that they were silent it's that they were silenced and we we get the official record and that's what happened Mm -hmm. um and so i really saw it as her trying to peel back and i say it's like a palimpsest of 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 the layers of the official discourse to get to show us what happened and for me uh, in particular, that scene of the enfumade where where the where the people are are, are massacred in the cave really becomes a, an important kind of um, turning point in in this analysis of 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 showing how terrible that must have been and how annoying it was to the colonizers 
because they just couldn't get it done quickly enough. Mm-hmm. And Jibar and, and is just absolutely horrified and is showing that to them it was just a task to accomplish. But these are people that are, that are dying so that you can have your victory in your, in your country. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, that, that's, that will not stand. And I will not stand for your words on this, on this event to be the last word, right? She's like, I'm going to show you what it actually means to do this enfimade. And it's horrific, right? So just adding to this discourse. And I think that that's a theme throughout all the chapters and all these rewritings is that there is a specific goal behind the rewriting. And the rewriting is, to me, always to bring attention to the lasting effects of colonialism, to show the damage that was done and how it lingers and how people who have ties to these former colonies are still grappling with the effects. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to ask you this question on um, Spivak, because you mentioned how, how she emphasizes how, um, excuse me, how she emphasizes um, the impact of imperialism on developing and post-colonial nations. So can you talk to us a little bit about the effects of imperialism um, with literary production and how you see this uh, relating to literary cannibalism? Um, Because I was just super interested when you, just like how you mentioned at the beginning, we are what we eat. And so Mm -hmm. if we are these books that we're devouring, um, what what is that saying about us? And it also just makes me think about the stories that are not being told. So sort of like what we're not eating. Um, yeah. But <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think I think the Spivak quote, especially with with um, regard to imperialism, just really for me becomes important. And and this is something I find myself teaching because I teach works from the former colonies primarily, is to the need for me to always contextualize within colonialism. And I think the thing to, to me that Spivak does that's most important is that you cannot separate these works from imperialism from colonialism. She's talking about these 19th century British works. I I think it's the the idea is that you you can't just look at them and not see the bigger role that imperialism is playing, right? So we have to constantly look at the power structure and what's what's being addressed within or not being said. I mean, we have these texts from the 19th century, uh, English texts, and mind you, this is not my area of expertise, but they will make a reference in passing to Mm -hmm. um, somebody that came from the islands or their money was coming from the islands or something, you know, and you're just like, it's just in passing. But then if you stop to really analyze what this means, and you're like, this is wealth built on the back of enslaving people, this is, uh, and it's just such a passing comment. And you're like, but all of this is built on colonialism, on enslavement, this is all blood money, and you just kind of are gonna just drop that and keep going? Mm -hmm. Um, No. Uh, So I think that for me, that becomes very important is that to show how these authors are, are still grappling with the effects of, of empire, of colonialism, and it because they're still feeling it, because their countries are still feeling it. And I'd like to say that since these works were written, it's no longer the case, but we know it, that it's absolutely not true. The effects of colonialism, who knows how long we will keep 
feeling them. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, for example, you take the case of Algeria, you know, colonized in 1830, freed, um, obtains its independence in the, in the 1960s. Well, that's over 130 years of colonialism. Mm-hmm. It's almost like to break even. We still have to go a while to yeah. go, right? Mm-hmm. To, to say 130 years, 130 years free, then maybe after things start to even out. So I, I think that that is what I really wanted to show and really leading on, on, on Spivak to show that we cannot ignore, as she said, the role of empire when we are reading these works. You always have to keep that in the back of your mind and, 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 and show how, how they're, it's just present. It, it permeates through everything. It stains everything um, because that's what colonialism and, and empire does. There's no way to read Jabbar, especially that novel, without stopping and thinking um, what it took out of her, you know, to write that. And it's and it's not just her novel, but it's reading most of these novels that were coming out of the 1960s. As much as I'm interested about the content, I'm also interested how much it takes out of them to actually articulate um the emotions and the feelings. And of course, you know, the text only does so much. It's only one interface that can be very limiting. Um, but she, it does, that's why the, the more I read about cannibalism, the more I'm like, the author is cannibalism and also the author kind of maybe eating themselves also. Um, there, there, there's an aspect of just, I don't know, this image of, now I started to think I'm like, they're also having to eat themselves they're looking at their people. It's it's painful. It's bloody. It's violence all over, really. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 it, it reopens a wound. I mean, and Jabal says she started by interviewing women who 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 had these stories to tell, either because they were older or had had the stories passed down in in an oral tradition. And 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 yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I can't. I can't fully imagine, but you have this idea that yeah, this must have been difficult, or or the pain that it takes to to see your country still suffering from the legacy of colonialism, and then and then try to put those emotions and and that into 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 works such as like like César did, like Diop mm-hmm. did, like like Condé did. All of them, it really it's coming from a from a place of 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 being wounded, but wanting mm. to reclaim a power. And, and I really see that as a, a, we are hurt, we are hurting. How can we reclaim what was taken from us and how we take it is from taking from those who took from us, right? Mm. You took from us, well, I am taking from you now. And so one of the critiques of literary cannibalism that you, you know, you point out is how it can be also viewed as colonial mimicry uh, or colonial mm-hmm. mimicry. So can you speak to how either these two should be conflated or not conflated? Um, but just, yeah, because I was curious about that concept. <laughs> so to be clear, I argue that it is not colonial mimicry, but we did have to go down that road because that is a a quick and easy way to dismiss these works is Mm -hmm. that you lack originality. Mm -hmm. Um, You have no ideas of your own. So all you are doing as a former um, person with ties to the colony is just copying what 
the Europeans did and because you can't think of anything better, right? That's 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 the the short version of what colonial mimicry would be. And I think there's a section there on on on, on Skip Gates. He talks about how mm-hmm. early American authors as well were accused of 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 that. Um but I think I and I really go into detail leaning on 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 Homie Baba as well on this idea that it's one thing to to just reproduce what the other has done. But it's another thing, and this is where we get into this re- resemblance as menace. Mm-hmm. You want the other to, number one, recognize themselves in what you're doing, right? Because again, we go back to this idea of an angry pamphlet. And the angry pamphlet is, is easy to dismiss. But when the European recognizes Shakespeare or they recognize... Bronte or Mirime or the archives, they're like, well, that I know. I know that. And that's literature. Um, so already they're in a reference point that they understand. But then second of all, it's a, provo- it's a provocation that to show you, well, I'm taking this thing that you know and that you revere, right? These are, you know, for, these are sacred icons of, of literature, right? You're Shakespeare and you're and not even near Bronte, uh, and say, well, I can, I can take that and I can transform it to my own ends. So I think, again, coming back to this idea that there is, there is an intention in this rewriting. And we, we all know these are not the first works of these authors, right? This is not mm-hmm. the only thing I did, had done. It's not the only thing Jebar or Diop did that you could just dismiss as saying, well, they lack creativity, they lack originality. So of course, they're going to rewrite something canonical. These are works in the middle of a lot of years of of production and works. And um, they're in fact, quite different from from the other works of these authors, right? So if anything, when you try to do this critique, this negative reading and say it's mimicry, when it's so different than anything they usually do and you see what they do with the work, I think that that blows this notion of, of mimicry out of the water. It just, it just simply that argument doesn't hold water because it is transforming that work in such a way that you cannot possibly be left with the idea that they rewrote this original European work because they couldn't think of anything else to do or they just, you know, were out of ideas. I think that that's just, that doesn't, doesn't hold water. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, if you compare this novel of Job to uh, Domi Golo, can't remember the English version or the French, the French, I'm saying the Wolof name, <laughs> but um, right, right. It's, it's, it's not, it's not the same. And so, yeah, it's it's just not the same. They're completely different. Or so or his meant- or his journalism, right? Or his yeah. journalism or mm-hmm. other talks. It's really it kind of they these works stick out immense many, and you think to yourself, "Wow, these are very different from the other works." Why is that? Why are these different, and why are these rewritings? And I and I think that's what sends you down that path. Mm-hmm. And so the, another thing that you know, I guess I wanted to know a little bit more was you also mentioned Edward Said's reinscription. So how do you mm-hmm. also relate that to your project in terms of how do we use this to analyze these literary texts? So I think with the reinscription where it becomes um, where it becomes relevant is when I saw Saeed writing about recognition 
and wanting to be seen and recognized by the other, right? Because again, still talking about how how the colonized um, is othered, and how how are, how can you be noticed? And so, looking for a place within the space that you are excluded from, traditionally, originally, um, where you don't belong, where you don't have same status. Um, how how do you get yourself? on that same level as those that regard you as lesser, um, less than, right? To, to talk about Mimi as well. Um, and, and this idea that you can inscribe yourself, you know, you, I'm literally writing myself into the story. Um, I thought that's so fitting because they are literally writing their stories, right? You think of Marais Condé who, who takes the setting in Wuthering Heights and puts it in the, in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. She is literally writing her story, the story of, of Guadeloupe, into an existing plane and and that to me was that well that's it that's it you know they are writing their own stories but they're not just simply writing their own stories into into a blank canvas or into into you know the ether they are writing in a space that was already occupied and they're saying I'm going to make space for myself into here right so again re-inscription there's already something written there but I'm writing over it, right? Like a painting over a painting um, mm. because that's how you're going to see me because you took this space and this is your space, but I'm making space for myself within this liminal space that I've been previously excluded from. So I think that that's where that really, you know, helped bring that idea together of, of, of reinscription and, you know, and, and the author as a cannibal, right? Rewriting these works. And that makes me think of uh, the travel narratives, you know, when the Mm -hmm. French went over, they wrote themselves in those stories and those pamphlets would go back and there was, the canvas wasn't blank, (laughs) Um, but they were like, well, we're going to kind of. No, no, they discovered it. They discovered it. There was no (laughs) one there. They they Columbus did. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I hear discover, I flinch. I feel bad for the credit card villain. Kind of, I hear it and I was just a little glitch that happens, but (laughs) you know, they, they put. Rightly so, rightly so. Into the stories. So it's, um, yeah, I see this little. And it's, once again, it's like, they're like, I'm going to eat you and I'm going to do the same things, (laughs) Um, but to just kind of elevate what our standing. Right. Yes. But also at the same time showing, and this is where this, again, you can come back to this idea of like, oh, I, I don't, I don't want to say mimicry. And this is where they, where, where you see the you can see the accusation, but there is a desire on the on the part of the one who was always branded lesser than, right? You know, um, lacking. You know, être de carence, Memi calls it, um, right? All these justifications for colonialism and enslavement are, are constantly that. Well, they're 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 subhuman, right? That's why we justify this action. So there is a need on behalf of those who are writing to show we can write as well as you. We can do just what you can do. And so then to accuse them of mimicry is, I think, first of all, short-sighted, but also not recognizing the immense work it takes when you have been denied, deprived, um, excluded from education, from learning, 
to say that I'm on this level and I'm not afraid to rewrite your canonical works to me is an extraordinary act. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and to just dismiss it with a flick of a hand and be like, Oh, well you rewrote this. Okay. Good for you. I mean, no, you really are dismissing what it took to get there to that point to not only be able to rewrite on that level, but then to transform it. That to me is just absolutely extraordinary. And that's why I say mimicry. No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And I guess that kind of answers my question to what would you say to those who are not so comfortable conflating the idea of, you know, literary cannibalism and literature. And I guess I'm also curious because you've worked on this since 2004. So you must have gone through like different phases where you're like, yes. And then you were like, no. And and then you finally reached a point where you were, you put that last period at the end of the book. (laughs) What would you, what would you say to those, um, you know, the scholars who are like, I don't know who are on the edge. Well, I think, and you know, one of the questions that you had sent me to think about was um, what are Conde's thoughts on this, right, mm-hmm. on on literary cannibalism. And that's why, for me, it was very important to, as I was wrapping up this book project, right, so it went, it went through from a, a germ of an idea <laughs> to um, a dissertation to book proposal transformation. And I said to myself, I've, I've got to go back and revisit my original interview with with Marie Condé mm. um and um i thought that that was very important because what if she what if she comes back and says oh this was a terrible idea i don't stand by it anymore or that was just a like, youthful folly or something like that <laughs> um but luckily for me as the project was coming to an end she was still very much with this and when you said what are her thoughts you know never have i met somebody so unbothered by what other people think of her ideas <laughs> and my god um at first i just wanted to go with well if marie's conde says it's good then it's good right because i mean who am i to go against what she says but i think that there is this notion of that i have as you said you know scaffolded and i love that notion of it how i build up this idea and really showing how it's it's just a question of being a cannibal as seizing the power of the other, right? You've been a marginalized character. The cannibal has been depicted um, wrongly. Um, most accounts that we know of of cannibalism are, are fiction. There's so few. I, I really tried to look for actual you know, eyewitness accounts, right? Because the way we hear it, it was just happening all the time everywhere. And then you're Mm -hmm. like, no, it's like two people who can actually have written down and saying, I saw this happen. You're like, so what is this, right? And so again, and we have this throughout history where people try to reclaim the terms that have been used against them Mm -hmm. as insult to take away their sting and Mm -hmm. to claim their power. And so I see that. And and I think that that was what Marie Sconde was getting at is that, you know, the poor malign cannibal. Um, I'm going to rehabilitate him and show how we can embody the best of the qualities mm-hmm. of, of, of this action um, because it wasn't as bad as, as we were told. It's actually 
you know, intellectual, spiritual, there was an, a, 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 a well thought out idea behind this. And let's take what we can from that and apply it to these rewritings. So with her being unbothered with criticism, I tried to <laughs> put on a little bit of that shield, but I, I, I will concede and I will grant that it is, it is a tricky thing. And I will still, and anybody who says, well, I don't know about the cannibal i'll say you know what you're you're not wrong but mm -hmm. i'm inviting you to consider it from a different perspective and that's all i want is for you to consider it from a different angle and from a different perspective and see how it can inform your reading of these rewritings and i think well at least i'll speak for myself that's what i got you know i i've never looked at any any text honestly as the author being a cannibal or Yes, I've thought like, oh, this is similar to this, you know, European work. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, hmm, someone should do a comparison study. Um, but then this is kind of a different comparative study. <laughs> it's more of like a let me devour this other can yeah. <laughs> canonical work and as a, as a way of post-colonial revolution, um, which I find powerful. Oh, I like that. I, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it on a shirt. Um, but yeah, I find it very powerful and it's... Um, like you said, it, it you you kind of force the reader to look at it a different way. And you also do so subtly. You're not rude about it. <laughs> Just, you know, so <laughs> you could be. I think earlier iterations were a little more um, hit you over the head, um, blunt with it. So if you, if you want to ask, you know, how are things um, transformed? I think that, that that's something that got a little softened is they're like let's be let's let's take the reader there by the hand as opposed to <laughs> hitting them over the head with it um that is something that i worked on yeah and because <laughs> you, you're very clear and you you point out the criticisms and for every line where you're you know advocating for the cannibalism or put it you're just like i also know how this looks <laughs> so I, I i think i like that it's like you are meeting the reader where they were at so i appreciated that so um but is there anything else do you think you would want readers to walk away you know from this book um i would like to for readers to have a more critical eye when looking at texts and especially texts that originate from former colonies or those that are trying to bring our attention to the effects of colonialism. I think in everything I do and what I have done with this book is to show that colonialism might have ended, but its effects have not gone away and and if anything um when i started working on this project uh, as long as it was ago i heard well colonialism ended and it was so long ago and then you look at these works and you look at the countries and you look at what's happening and you're like it may have ended officially on paper but we see that this is still ongoing. So I would really encourage readers to, to look at what these authors are saying. And when they talk to you about colonialism and its effects, listen to it. Just as when you read these 19th century texts or 20th century texts, which make passing remarks to the colonies or the islands, that you stop and, and ask yourself, what does this mean? And what is the role that the colonies and the islands played in in these people's wealth 
in in who they are and who they became and how they just flippantly um, make reference to it as if this isn't an ungodly mm-hmm. enterprise which which killed so many and made others so unbelievably wealthy. So just to really keep that critical eye and and hopefully um, we'll continue to see authors cannibalize works. And I think that that was my hopeful ending in my conclusion is to show that this is this isn't a, a, a closed and shut um, uh, process. This is something that can continue to be done in art, in music, in in, in writing. Um, think about how samples are used in music. If you just yeah. look at that, the the how they're wielded sometimes, right? I mean, it, it, it can apply to so many different things. So I would love to see other people um, look at works critically and see maybe where that author has has cannibalized somehow to to make a a, a post-colonial revolution as 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 you said to to requote you <laughs> and how about you how did um you know this project leave you new curiosities sensibilities exhaustion <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it left me tired <laughs> i won't lie um but i you know, there's, there's, there's labor and then there's labor of love. Mm. I really wanted this book out there. I really wanted these interviews with Marie Conde out there um, because I thought that they were important and they really encourage us to look at these works that we know, we think we know, but to really look at them in a different light. So for me, I was just so happy that this is out there and it, it gives people a, a, a new perspective. So exhausted, but just so happy to have it out there. And um, it, it has left me wanting to work on Marie Conde more. I think that that's going to be my, my second book. I'm already formulating it where I'm going to focus on, on her theoretical works because it really, she does address colonialism so much and she has quite a few um, writings on theory and why is she not considered more when we talk about francophone theory along with Fanon and Césaire and Mimi, you know, Condé should be in that mix for her theoretical writings. So it has left me um, wanting to work more on, on Marie Condé after, after of course, taking a little break. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, you know, for coming on and just um, talking about your book. I'm glad this is out there. And certainly looking forward to <laughs> your next one. No rush. Please take your time. <laughs> These things are not easy. I haven't written one, but just just formulating the idea is very messy. So <laughs> it's it's a lot of work. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for um, having having taken the time to read and having taken the time to to have me on and to um, discuss my ideas. Um, it's 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 not often that somebody um, has read you and you can really go into detail and they know what you're talking about. It's um, ask any academic. It's it's such a nice feeling. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave today on a very on a very um, uh, positive note. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, and um, hopefully we can have you back on, so we look forward to that. (laughs) I would love that. I would love that. Thank you so much. Thank you.